whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. So excited. She and I were just chatting away, and I'm like, we need to get on this interview right now because it's uh, it's really... So important for you to hear all about what Liz is up to. So Liz Elting is the co-founder of a company that you may or may not be familiar with, but it's a very large company called TransPerfect, where she was the co-founder and the co-CEO for many years. She is currently the founder of the Elizabeth Elting Foundation. We'll get to talk about that. But drum roll for her book. Uh, She is the author of the incredible book called Dream Big and Win. I have a copy here. Um, It is so, so good. So you definitely need to grab a copy of it. Uh, It just came out. And uh, just a little bit of information on Liz. As I mentioned, she 
was at a company for, I think, 25 years, uh, close to maybe a little... 26. Yes, 26 yeah. years, amazing, called TransPerfect, which is the world's largest provider of language and business solutions and uh, valued at over a billion dollars. She was there uh, for a number of years, over 25 years, 26 years, I guess. Uh, and now she has founded the Elizabeth Elting Foundation, which advances economic, social, and political equality for women and marginalized people. And she has uh, also appeared on the Forbes Richest Self-Made Women list for five years in a row. That's amazing. And also recognized for all her efforts from the National Organization of Women, Forbes, American Express, uh, so many, so many. So, And as I mentioned, Dream Big and Win is quite good. And you definitely need to get your hands on this. It's so motivating, educational, inspiring. Her journey is really incredible. So without further ado, welcome, Liz. Thank you so much, Kara. I am so excited to be here. Very excited to have you. So I'm so inspired by your journey, how you built and, and scaled a company as a founder uh, and as a CEO of a company, co-CEO as well, such a massive company. And I know there's going to be so many learnings in this conversation for sure, building a company also without raising money outside capital. I mean, who does that? That's, that is absolutely uh, incredible. So much I want to talk to you about. But I'd love to start from the beginning in the early days, especially thinking back on, on you as, uh, as a little person, right? You're, I read you were in lots of different countries and cultures, and it clearly that really impacted your career choices and kind of what you saw a hole in the market for. But can you share a little bit more about that experience? Sure. So yes, when I was young, I, I was fortunate to live first in Westchester, New York, and then I moved to Portugal when I was eight and nine. And I got to study Portuguese and French, realized I loved languages, then moved to Toronto. And there I continued to study languages. And by the time I graduated from high school, studied Spanish and Latin as well. So four languages altogether. Loved, loved, loved languages. And I just loved being in other cultures. And I loved kind of the thought of just connecting with other people with different backgrounds. So I learned that. I realized that. I went off to college. And in college, I really didn't know what to do because I was very practical and I loved the idea of going into business, being in business. And I thought, well, I love languages. This is what I want to study, but what on earth am I going to do with a degree in languages? So I remember I called up my dad and I said, dad, you know, as you know, I loved language. I love languages. I, I want to major in modern languages, but what on earth am I going to do with it? And he said, Liz, you know, don't worry about it. Just do what you love and the rest will take care of itself. And I'm just so grateful that he said that and he encouraged that. So I majored in languages in college. And then after college, I, actually during college, I lived in Spain for a year. Greatest year of my life. Loved it. Loved connecting with people there. And then worked in Venezuela after college. Came back from Venezuela. And I was fortunate to get a job working at a company that was called Your America. And at the time, it was the largest translation company in the industry. Hmm. And I thought, wow, how perfect is this? A way to combine business and languages. I, I remember I, I walked in there in 1987 and there was a Macintosh computer on every desk, which back then was very high tech. 
I felt like I was in Jessen's or something like that. And I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. So I ended up getting a job there and I started in production and then was able to move into sales, which is what I had really wanted. And I absolutely loved the industry. But during my time there, I thought, I love this industry. I love what we're doing, but I think it can be done better. I saw gaps between what clients needed and what was available in the industry. Back then, it was enough to be a translation company. But I thought clients needed projects done faster. They needed deliverables other than WordPerfect and Microsoft Word, which were the two big softwares back then. And they needed a real one-stop shop with offices really in every city around the world. So that just kind of stuck in my head, went back to school, got my MBA from NYU Business School. And because I'm very practical and I thought I really need to get a job and make some money when I graduate, I majored in finance and international business. So after that, I graduated with my MBA, as I said, in finance and international business, and I got a job at a French bank. Um, where I was doing equity arbitrage. And I thought, okay, great. This is a way to combine what's practical finance and, and language, my love for what was international. So I went there and basically I showed up and I was the only woman there. And this is in 1992. And whenever the phone rang, my boss and everybody around me yelled, Liz, phone. Amazing. This is not why I got my MBA from NYU in finance. This is not what I expected. So didn't love that. Didn't love the atmosphere. Was very sexist being the only woman there and being expected to answer the phone. And then I also realized the industry was not for me. I had loved the language industry, but thought it could be done better. And I also had loved the culture of the other company I was at. And I thought, I don't love the industry. I certainly don't like this culture that I'm experiencing, this corporate culture. So I'm going to go. And so basically, and it was sort of my aha moment. I thought this is my moment to create my dream company with the perfect corporate culture and really pursuing my passion, languages, and kind of bringing the world together through shared language. So after four weeks, I said to my boss, I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. How much time do you need? And he said, two weeks is fine, Liz. And I left after six weeks and started TransPerfect. So sorry, that was very long. No. But I just wanted to kind of give you what led to my, my, my dreaming about starting TransPerfect and what led to that action. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. 
They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. I can only imagine here you had 
you know, you were obviously very bright and very capable, but you're in your early 20s, right? You've supposedly got this amazing opportunity and you decide that it's not for you, right? I mean, who leaves jobs after a few weeks, right? You're, you were probably thinking like, is there something wrong with me? I don't want to be in this position. I mean, it's, it's a very scary time. I can only imagine uh, how scary that was. But here you decided to really take the risk and, and go and do something that you knew you were passionate about, but you didn't have experience being an entrepreneur, right? You were going to go and see what would happen. Uh, and I'd love to kind of hear about that time and, and sort of how did you push forward? Right. No, and you're right. It, it was a risky move because I, I, and I felt some guilt too. I felt a lot of guilt because I had just, and, and largely my, my parents had just paid for my, and I, you know, contributed a little bit for my MBA from Stern. And I thought, I've got to use it. I can't just go and start a translation company, but my heart wasn't in it. And I thought, wow, if I'm going to do this out of the NYU business school dorm room, which I was living in at the time, I need to make it big and successful and ideally the world's premier language solutions company. But again, I felt guilt. I, I wasn't sure it was going to work out. Um, and it was a very interesting and exciting time. Uh, during that time, we started with no money. No, I mean, I, a few thousand dollars that I had saved from all my jobs over the years. I started working very young when I was 10 and I, I saved, but it wasn't much money. Got a little bit so a few thousand dollars in the bank, a $5,000 credit card advance, and that was the extent of it. And I just thought, okay, I've got to give it everything I have and make it the biggest and the best. But but we had some crazy stories in that dorm room, uh, where, where which I could tell you about, but the goal was to be out of that NYU business school dorm room within six months. So we would have a real office. And, and that's exactly what happened. But boy, there, there were some crazy times in that dorm room. How were you in the, still in the dorm room? Did you actually get to have an office or you, were you living there still after business school? Actually, that's a great question. You're right, because I had graduated in May of that year and then started the company in the fall. So after graduating, a few months after graduating, but my business partner and, and boyfriend at the time, he and I were living together and we did decide to live in that dorm room because it was very cost effective. <laughs> in fact, because we were students, we were able to not have to pay until the end of the year, like the end of the school year. Oh, he was a year behind me. I guess I didn't say that. I had graduated. He was a year behind me. So technically, he was still an MBA student. I had graduated. But what was wonderful about that is when you're starting a company with no money, as you know, you need to find every way to do things in a cost-effective way. So we're able to live there and pay the rent at the very end of, of the school year, which was about six months after we started the company. That's wild. So I heard a really great interview that you did where you talk about the importance of goals. And I can imagine, especially in those early years for uh, of building TransPerfect, that you know this concept of like, having a check sheet or uh, a list of things and goals that you want to meet. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned, um, you know, in those early days and over the years, really, that helped you probably to scale uh, a company too? 
Yes. And, you know, I do think goals are so important because, you know, as I said, I think we were very nervous about not succeeding and we didn't have any outside funding. It was sort of do or die. There was nobody else's money. It was just the the little that I mentioned we had. So what we did is said, okay, today, every day, we're going to send out 300 letters and make 300 phone calls. Actually, it was more, make 300 phone calls and then send out 300 letters because the 300 phone calls were to figure out who at a company would have a need for our service, put them in a spreadsheet and then send out 300 letters. And this was every day for months and years to, to get that first client and then the second client. And, you know, then of course it becomes easier over time because the first million is by far the hardest, but that's so goals where, you know, a day couldn't pass without 300 calls and 300 letters. And then beyond that, I mean, once we started getting revenues, monthly revenue goals, um, annual revenue goals, and just holding ourselves to them and doing whatever we needed to make sure we accomplished them. Another goal as time went on was in order to be the biggest and the best with offices in every major city around the world, we would say, okay, what if we had a boss? We would need to present them with Mm -hmm. goals on how we're going to grow this company. So came up with a plan on, okay, each quarter, what office are we going to open? And then we required ourselves to find a way to open that office. And the way we opened offices was very cost effectively. I mean, one person at a time, that person needed to accomplish certain goals, and then they could add a person, and then they needed to accomplish certain goals. And I'm referring to revenue goals now. And then they could hire a third person and so on. And this is really how we funded the company internally, but with goals, with deadlines. Your business was humming, but now you're seeing it falling short on what's needed. Your team that has shown up and outperformed through all the chaotic twists and turns over the past couple of years, they all seem buried in too much manual work and taking forever to close the books. But having one single source of truth would be the dream, yet it seems so difficult to even imagine. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 36,025, 36,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. That's key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve those margins. Everything you need all in one place. I can tell you firsthand that when we made the switch at Hint to NetSuite, so much angst was alleviated. Our business just got better and our team was achieving what they needed to. Having key metrics finally available in one place allowed us to run the business better and easier. And by doing that, we were able to spend more time as a team thinking through and executing on growth for Hint 
And what CEO wouldn't want that to happen? NetSuite is everything you need, all in one place for your business finances, inventory, HR, D2C, and more. Working with NetSuite is really a no-brainer. Plus, with NetSuite's unprecedented offer, it's really easy to make the decision to give NetSuite a try. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Kara. That's netsuite.com slash Kara to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Kara. And your book, Dream Big and Win, you talk a lot about not just uh, the lessons that you learned, but also things like goals and the importance of it too. Uh, the early days of the business. Do you remember any stories where you hit a big roadblock where um, it was really challenging for you and your co-founder, anything that you recall that you can share with us where you just thought, okay, I may be going back to Wall Street or uh, I don't know if this is going to work anymore. Do you remember any of those days? There were so many, yes, uh, <laughs> failures and things go- going wrong. I mean, in the very early days in the dorm room, literally the first couple projects we did, the first client, I remember she, and, and this was when, this was back in the day when having an office was important. I mean, now we're at a different time where everybody or so many people work remotely and it's not about having an impressive looking office. But I remember my our my very first client finished the project for her and then she said, Great, I'll come over to pick it up and I can, you know, check out the operation. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> so ran downstairs to the lobby of the dorm and just sort of intercepted her before she got past the security guard and handed her the project. Um, because this was before email. This is right. before we could literally send her the project. And then the second client somehow turned up as well, whereby he got past the doorman and we weren't even expecting him. And he literally got to the dorm room, knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm here to pick up my project. So that was craziness. But um, as far as things we did wrong, mistakes we made in the early days, we were working so hard on selling that we would work day and night. You know, I talked about how hard we were, you know, pulling a lot of all-nighters, working 14 hours, 16 hours a day, worked so hard. And then we brought in people to do the same. And they understandably were burnt out. Mm -hmm. They were either selling or they, if we sold, they were producing the jobs, like taking the projects from start to finish. And understandably, they were burnt out. And we thought, okay, we'll just give them a bonus. We'll give them overtime. We'll pay them more. And no, (laughs) that wasn't sufficient. They needed their life. Of course they did. They needed work-life balance, what we call it now, which back back in the day, you know, it wasn't, people didn't quite look at it that way, but we realized that was an issue. So even when we paid them more, uh, even when we gave them a bonus, it wasn't sufficient. And we had a lot of turnover in the early days. So we found ways around that. Like we started having shifts. We created shifts, what we called T1 and T2. So people could cover for each other throughout the night. So they were working 24-7. We also had people in other offices and other time zones covering for these people so they could turn over their work to to them. And then, of course, also overtime comp days. But we realized the importance of making sure everybody had a work-life balance because no matter how much money people made, they, they need their time. So learned that. 
Um, another lesson early on was we we were really working hard on selling. We got what looked like a $15 million client in Florida, which was huge, uh, in an office in Florida. And they said, okay, we're here. We have a big project for you. And they were they were like a Fortune 100 company. I mean, they we knew they could pay, pay mm-hmm. for it. They were real. Mm-hmm. And so we opened the office. We... Uh, it was big office. We hired a lot of people and then they just sort of backed out hmm. and we did not have a formal agreement, which of course, looking back, of course you need a formal agreement for something like that. But we knew they were legit. We had done a few projects with them. We knew they were a big company and we didn't require it. And so that was a loss. And after that, we required you know, contracts or terms of con- terms and conditions with every project. And even, you know, when we knew clients were, you know, legitimate. That's so interesting. So you left the company after being there for 26 years, uh, after really bringing this business to life. My question for you is, what did it feel like uh, to leave the business? Um, We've had a lot of founders on our podcast, uh, founders who have also been CEOs uh, or or another executive in, in the company, what is what was your experience? Did you did you feel like you were? Um, I know that there were some challenges with your co-founder, um, but did you really feel like it was uh, it was hard to watch other people operate uh, the company because you really had not only put your heart and soul into it, but also you actually really believed that you knew how to grow the company. I'm so curious what you would say to that. No. It was incredibly hard. It was initially to leave. And I I thought at first, I mean, I went through years of litigation and I looked at buying it. And without getting into the details, I ended up selling instead. And at first, I, I, I was devastated, actually, because it was my baby. It mm-hmm. was my life. And I did think I kind of, I, I knew ways to to run it and grow it as well as anyone. And then also, above all, I was close to our people, our employees. They were my family. And, you know, we didn't talk about that, but so much of what I learned during the 26 years was working with people, leading people, and, and all of the those leadership issues because our company was very people intensive and I didn't want to say goodbye to them. But Fast forward to to what ended up happening. I did end up leaving, walking out the door. And initially it was weird. It was strange. It was awkward where I literally thought, what do I do with myself now? Yeah. <laughs> I remember like back in the day when I used to watch the Flintstones and, and Fred Flintstone would sit on a park bench. Well, I, I thought, what do I do with myself now? But then I quickly realized it was a blessing. It was a blessing because it had been 26 years and like anything, I you know, I need change. We all need change. I think careers need change. You know, like a company needs to change and pivot. I think we all need to, or it gets old. And I was so excited finally to think, okay, now I can do the things I never had time to do, like philanthropy, mm-hmm. like give back, like address the issues in the world that are real issues and problematic issues. Because I've been so incredibly fortunate, and I need to try to help people who did not have the advantages I had. So that's a big one. And I've spent a lot of time on that over the last few years. And then because I love entrepreneurship and speaking about entrepreneurship, I was so excited 
to share what I learned based on what I did right and what I did wrong. And I did a lot of things wrong. I didn't even get to talk about all the things I did wrong and the lessons I learned, but I was very excited to write my book and share the lessons in my book and then speak more about it. So, um, and then finally, a little more time with my family because it was hard for 26 years. It was hard. I mean, one thing, you know, as an entrepreneur, Kara, and everybody knows it's it's crazy hours. And for many, many years, over a sustained period of time, it's a lot of hard work. So now I get, I got to go on the maternity leave that I never got to go on when my kids were little. I love that description for sure. And I totally get it because you give up a lot to go and be an entrepreneur. And I think time is the most valuable thing that any of us have as humans and the amount of time that goes into uh, founding a company, scaling a company uh, is enormous. So uh, what are the key things that you'd like people to learn from Dream Big and Win? You've obviously shared a lot of your lessons. You not only have scaled a enormously profitable company and that is a private company, but now you've started your own foundation too, which is incredible. So you have vast experience in lots of different areas, but what else would you like people to kind of learn from the book? Right, right. Well, no, there were so many things. I mean, certainly about leadership because I had no experience. I made so many mistakes managing people. I mean, in the early days, we so much needed people. We made some hiring mistakes. And, um, you know, and one of the things I learned is it's not just about skill set, I mean, and, and experience, and especially experience. It's much more about attitude and curiosity and propensity to learn and motivation and all of these things. So so that's important. Another thing that I learned over time was I, I was working very closely. I mean, I was working closely with um, someone who sat literally outside my office, like ne- next to me practically. And I thought we were very close. I thought I knew how that person felt and that they were happy in their job. And then one day, they, they gave notice. I thought, oh my gosh, how, how could I have not foreseen this? What did I do wrong? And that was early on. And I learned about the importance on, of one-on-one meetings mm-hmm. with people who report to you, even if they're sitting next to you all day long. And what I mean by that is one-on-one meetings where you are you know, talking about their goals, their where they want to be in five years, hmm. ideally with your company and you know what they think is going right and what's going wrong. And then giving them a a plan for how to get there. So so after that, I really carried out and, and I think we as a company, you know, carried out the import carried out one-on-ones across the board. Also employee feedback and client feedback could not be more important. Learned that from mistakes we made. And so many of our ideas came from our employees and our clients about new products, new services. So that was um, lessons learned from from not always doing things right. And then finally, uh, one that comes to mind is I talk about this in the book, but I did not have a shareholders agreement when mm-hmm. we started our company. We started without funding, as I said, and we thought, well, we can't hire a lawyer, we can't hire an accountant, we don't have the money, but the most important thing is a proper shareholders agreement. And I I learned that over time. Over time, as I mentioned, our company grew. And after about 20 years, my partner, who I owned the company with 50-50, and I were having issues, and we had no shareholders agreement. And 
as most entrepreneurs know, you definitely need one to basically uh, determine how uh, roles, responsibilities, decision-making, dispute resolution, what happens in the event of death, divorce, disability, and above all, a buy-sell provision. Hmm. If you and your partners can't work together or you want to sell the company or whatever the issue is, you need to set forth how the company is valued and how you can exit or how they can exit and, and all of that. And we didn't have any of that. So it made it challenging over the years not having that, you know, when I mentioned the roles, responsibilities and decision making, but but certainly over time it made it difficult. And the other thing I didn't mention is we were 50-50 owners. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I recommend ideally being in the controlling position. And usually that comes with ownership, being over a 50% owner, but or but it can come in other ways, depending on how many owners there are, you know, being the biggest owner or just what's set forth in the shareholders agreement with re- related to who's in charge of what. But a proper shareholders agreement, not being 50-50 owners, so it's unclear how a tie is broken. <laughs> so- And that's a mistake I made. And then, of course, if you do that, if you do that, make sure you get a shareholders agreement as quickly as you can. Make sure you bring in advisors or board and attorneys to draft the agreement as soon as you can. So and then I do for me, it would have been valuable to have a non-compete agreement with my partner, because then ultimately when I exited, I you could have I could have gotten more a higher valuation. But but that's okay. I mean, ultimately, I mean, I was incredibly lucky. I had a fabulous run of it, but these are some important lessons I learned that I always share with entrepreneurs now. No, I think that that's incredibly valuable. So last question, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs looking to start a business or disrupt an industry outside of having an incredible ironclad uh, shareholder rights agreement? Well, okay. So when people are starting, I think it's so important to have goals with deadlines. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think what happens is a lot of people spend a lot of time, I guess, on a business plan and getting investors. And in our case, we didn't do that. We didn't have a business plan. I mean, in our head, we knew what we wanted to do, but that can take a lot of time. And then, of course, getting investors can take a lot, a lot of time. And I I think it's at least as valuable to focus on getting the sales and getting the making the profit. So revenue and profit. You know, one of the things I say is, I used to say is revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. But now I think sometimes funding is is the vanity part and ideally profit is sanity. And then, of course, you need revenue to get profit. But I think that's so incredibly important because there most times when company, now I think I've heard something like 90% of entrepreneurs fail and 75% of funded companies fail. And it's all about the revenue and the profit. And that's the most important thing. That's what will sustain you over time. And that's really what we focused on and building the sales team. That's another thing. Actually, I like to say this to people. We focused on sales a lot in the beginning, but it wasn't just us. It was building a sales team. And my goal was to have the biggest sales team in the industry. And when I sold, we had over 600 full-time salespeople. And that was very important because 
that's how you grow the company. I think so many entrepreneurs have wonderful ideas, but the entrepreneur is the salesperson for many, many years. And then how do you grow it? And we even acquired a company that had had something like $82 million in funding, but it didn't have a proper sales team. I think it had some about a million dollars in revenue after $82 million in funding because it had a great back-end solution, but not a proper sales team. So I, fo- I say the sales team is very important. Another thing is diversify your risk. That was a big thing we did. No one client accounted for more than a couple percent of our business, and we focused on that intensely. Also, we worked with every industry, um, you know, so everything from life sciences to legal to financial to advertising. Okay, so that's important. And every geography and every we kept adding services and technology. And I say that because you don't want to rely on any one area. Yeah. So important. One last thing, because I think this is really important for entrepreneurs. Don't confuse being an inventor with being an entrepreneur or being an entrepreneur with being an inventor. We didn't invent something entirely new. And I remember in business school, when people would take entrepreneurship classes, they said, I have to think of a new product. What can I do? And I thought, boy, I don't have one. I just have a thought on how something can be done better. And, you know, I'm not the most, I'm not the most creative person. I didn't have a new idea. So it's just a case of doing it better. And then you can really, you know, have a very successful company and be wildly successful without being, without inventing something new. So I think that's very important too. No, I think that's absolutely important. And we've, and we've talked to a number of people who have taken components that are already out there and figured out how to build a company out of that too. So, so incredible. I love talking to operators like yourself that are really, uh, knowledgeable about how to grow companies and dream big and win is just so, so right on, so inspiring, so informational. So you need to get a copy of this. We'll have all the info in the show notes. But Liz, thank you so much for your time and all of your knowledge and and motivation and inspiration. We loved it. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Kara. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to spotlight? 
send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Thanks for listening.